right, I'm going to go ahead and read our teaching passage uh, this morning for us. Um, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So we are in a series called uh, Bless, and uh, this morning I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Um, and by the way, if, if you do not have a Bible for yourself, your like, own paper Bible, we would love to gift you one uh, this morning. Please do not be shy. We, we'll get some people to pass them out as well if you would like one. Uh, we've got some black Bibles over here on the shelf that we'd be happy to gift you as well so that you have a Bible for yourself to, to just flip through uh, and read and get familiar with. So that hopefully gave you a few seconds for those of you who like to follow along uh, with, we are, with what we are reading. So again, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. It says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. And he told them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but, at the, but, and sit, but to, my, to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. And said it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whomever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray together. God, you are good. No matter how our week has gone, whether it's been lively and full of energy or we feel a little beat up coming into this morning, I just pray that you refresh our soul, that the word that you have prepared for us, that we hear, that you meet us exactly where we are. Your word is powerful and true. And may we simply respond to it. Thank you for Jesus who embodied that word. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So we're in the series called Bless, and it's based actually in a passage in Genesis chapter 12, where God invites this man Abram on an incredible journey to re-embody God's presence amongst the earth. And through Abram and his family, eventually become Abraham, that that all the nations would be blessed through this one family. So God calls Abram on this journey, says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Now this story and this promise is woven throughout scripture. 
So much so that it's talked about that the word bless is used over 400 different times. It's woven throughout scripture to help the people of God, wherever they are, as they journey with God, to understand that God has moved towards them, that he is seeking to bless them, give them an identity, a promise, an assurance, a way to navigate the world, not that they have to do it on their own strength and might, but that they can do it with his, and then represent God, re-embody God in the world. We take on all kinds of caricatures and habits of those around us. Sometimes we say things or mimic things that we hear. Right, wrong, or indifferent, we know that sometimes we can repeat certain refrains that we have heard. Sometimes they're good, they're strong, they're encouraging, and sometimes they're actually not very deep. They're very surface level and don't have a lot of teeth or bite to them. So when things get tough and we try to pull those out and then... Then we wonder, like, why they don't quite keep us motivated or keep us going. Because when we start to reflect, we go, man, I'm, I'm not sure where this actually comes from, how this keeps me going. One of the ways that throughout Scripture, the reason why this promise of blessing is given is to keep the people who are journeying with God for the world rooted in who they are, who God is, and and then they're able to respond to that. They're reminded that God calls, that invites, that he chooses, and then he moves and provides, he rescues, he orchestrates, which then makes them chosen, loved, valuable. Then they can bless, love, be, be present in difficult times. But oftentimes, we think things work the opposite way. We think that, okay, based on my circumstances or how I act, that then describes my identity or who I am. And we, we work that back into ourselves. And that's sometimes where negative self-talk comes in and how we think about ourselves. And we even put ourselves down. And we, I mean, and sometimes we do that. And then sometimes we hear those words from others and that, that puts us down. And because of our circumstance or situation, that, that works back. And then, and then we kind of wonder... Well, where is God in the midst of this? And it's because it, he hasn't quite intervened. And so then we project those negative things. We try to, we try to kind of scrape it off ourselves, And we, we, we put it up on God. And, and, and then, then we get kind of dissatisfied and frustrated with God because we, we've actually reinterpreted the world in a way that we were not supposed to interpret the world. Which is why the story of Scripture is so powerful. Because it's learning how the story of God, how the, how, the, how the word of God, how God moves throughout time and place and history in different circumstances, how that, that then describes who God is, what he is actually like, and then who we are, and then that allows us to navigate those circumstances. And for us as people... On the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, when we hear this words of blessing, when we hear this words of identity, we have the opportunity to participate with God in his mission to build a good world with God because he has chosen us. He loves us because Jesus was sent, he was died, and resurrected. And so one of the things that when we're talking about this series is really how do we love our neighbor well, how do we love our community well and change the world? Not 
so that we can be some super rad church. I think that was the, that was the really fun thing this week is jumping around with kids camp a lot. Uh, had my hat on backwards a little bit. And then, yes, or, and then Friday at party in the park, I was walking around and my hat was on forward. And I got a comment that said, Kyle, you're not rad today. Your hat's on forward. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, I may change. My hat style may change, but God doesn't change. And so he's still rad and he empowers me to do it. I just am about out of energy, okay? It's been a little bit crazy. But really, that is one, when we talk about events, when we talk about doing those things, it's, it's not so that we can accumulate people and people like, look, Generations is a really large church. Yes, we hope people join God's family. That's why we start each and every week out with our vision. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. We want to see God's family grow. We believe in his goodness and his power and the the best thing in this world is to be with God wherever he has placed you for the world because you're living out your identity, your created purpose. And that's ultimately how we make waves. There you go, VBS tie-in. It's funny because hanging out with kids all week, I've got three of my own. And one of the joys of parenting is teaching them some of your favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to do is play board games. And so teaching them board games has been an absolute joy. Until they beat you. <laughs> so I, I've, Monopoly is just one of my favorite games. And I just, I, I, and people the other day were like, how do you get through a game? And I was like, well, well, we play by like mostly the, the actual rules of the game. And I've taught my kid, the kids the actual rules of the game. Unfortunately, I must have been too good of a teacher because the last two times we played, my middle daughter Mia has absolutely clobbered me. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, still working through that, can you tell? <laughs> but it's fun because as we have been playing those board games together and teaching them the strategy, they know in Monopoly the way you win is you get a full set. It's not you get all the different properties, but it's who is the fastest to build a full set and then build on that full set houses and hotels. And so if you never play Monopoly, what, there, there's all these games. You can go around, purchase all these properties. They're all these different colors. And the only way you can accumulate more money to essentially bankrupt the other people is by collecting that full set, building houses and hotels, and then having the other people land on them, and then they owe money to you. So teaching my kids that they know a full set that then is built upon is the way in which you win the game. To tie it into this series, bless, to truly be a blessing to our community, it's not just simply practicing one of these habits, beginning with prayer, listening, eating with others, serve as we'll talk about today, or even being able to share the story. It's can you build out this full set of skills to actually then build relationships. Because when you have this full set of skills to be present with people, then you can build a good world with God for others. You can't just be a really good listener because that will enable you, yes, to be able to, to be present with people, to hear their concerns, to, to hear their souls. But ultimately, 
then you need more than that to be able to share the story and the why and to stay listening to the ability to stay present to sustain that over the long haul so really in this series we've been talking about how do you how do you build this this set of skills that were first embodied in Jesus which brings me to another board game anybody ever played shoots and ladders Oh, yes, shoots and ladders. If you haven't played it, it's this where you roll the dice and it's this board. And if you land on a square and there's a ladder, you get to go further up the board. If you land on a space where there's a slide or a chute, you come back down. And what happens in this game is we think, okay, if I can just get to the right square, then I'll be able to move up and I'll be able to win. But what's interesting is life is not actually like a board game, or I guess even it could be. When it comes to this letter serve, sometimes we think that the more we serve, the more we do, we actually get to a space where there's like a a ladder and go up. And it makes us better. We're doing good. The scales are tipped in our favor so that then we can win the game. And so we do, we try, we try to move up the ladder. And the the more that we go, we feel like the better it is. And then anytime maybe we feel like we don't do good enough, or maybe even do something that we would deem as bad, then that's negative. So down the chute we go. And we constantly evaluate our life in the good we do, the bad we do, the good we do, the good we don't do. And we feel like as we progress in life and to service and actions, the, 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 maybe an opportunity to be kind to someone, maybe bring someone a meal, maybe go the extra mile. It's like, oh, yep, I'm not going to quite do that today, so I might slide down the little slide a little bit because I did enough ladders last week to get me up further. And we do this whole game, and we're playing by this set of rules, and, and ultimately, we're going up and down, and really, we don't win, and no one around us win because we're pl- treating life like a board game. And what's amazing is when Jesus incarnated and came on earth, it's almost like he came and said, scrap the board game. It's not about trying to do more good, move up the ladder, get to the end. And then, oh, you did something bad, so slide back down. Life is not like that. Jesus did not come. He came to shift that away so that when he said, I've come to serve, it's not just how do I do better, how do I be a good person, or how... What's right and makes me feel better to maybe win the board game of life? That's a different one. (laughs) It's really. uh, Let me let me put it this way. It's not the more good you put out into the world, or the more good, and just it's it's not that is not what life is. Christianity, following Jesus, is a means of grace. Before we did anything, Jesus moved towards us. 
That's why when I started off and saying how we interpret the world, it has to start with who God is and his action in moving towards us. Because before we were good or bad or indifferent, aware, unaware, thoughtful, not thoughtful, he moves towards us. And even takes the board game completely out of play and says, now just simply live and respond. The challenge is, is we get caught up with so many things that want to put the board game back down and say, no, play this game. Play this game. And Jesus' disciples were no different. They've been with him for three and a half years, watching him, eating with him, like spending time with him, watching him do miracles, feeding thousands, him teaching Saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am God in flesh. This is how you should live. You need a changed heart to continue to move and respond. But his disciples, near the end of his life, three and a half years, they're like, wait, no, they didn't even ask. Two of them had their mom ask. Hey, um, Jesus, excuse me, sir, mister. Um, so we think... You've said you're going to die, so can we get good positions here? <laughs> hey, we, we, we've given up everything the last three and a half years. We've given up, we, we've reoriented our jobs. We've had, had conversations with our families, our livelihoods. Hey, I was a tax collector making a ton of money. I'm going to give that up because... You're inviting me to an, a different type of adventure with an eternal reward. And you know they were all thinking it. Because in this story, the two, James and John, that's what's well, amazing. They didn't even name them. But they said Zebedee's sons. It's like we're trying to be incognito here. But if you do enough research, it's like, okay, James and John, who Jesus did like. They were some of his closest friends. They're like, okay, can we get a position of power? Can we get a position of status? We've given up everything. Can we get some assurances? But it's interesting because as they ask that question, we see really how cowardly they are. Because they had their mom ask the question. And what's amazing is Jesus responds and we know it's their question because they're the ones that respond to Jesus. And they answered. She says, promise, she said, to these two sons of mine may sit one at your right and one at your left. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And then they reply, we are able. <laughs> so they, they've got some learning to do. They've got some courage to build up to say, and I say cowardly, but I guess, here's another, I guess it's also commendable. Because it's interesting because they think Jesus will win. In fact, they're confident that he'll win. That, that, that as, as, as their mom kneels before Jesus, you know, almost, she's humble. She displays a great posture thinking about her kids, thinking about the, the, the kingdom and what it's going to be like. Showing that the kingdom of heaven is actually going to come and Jesus is going to rule all his coming reign. That, that, that he is going to be Lord of all. And though they don't perfectly understand this concept, they do think Jesus' vision will succeed. And so I guess it's commendable on some regard that they 
while they didn't perfectly understand it, they believed in what Jesus wanted to do within the world. And I think there's even two lessons here as I kind of describe that back and forth. We should recognize that true faith and real error can be mixed in the heart of the best Christians. Even the best of us has some deep motives that, that recognize that true faith and real error can be mixed in the heart of even the best Christians. That some of us want the best and want to believe Jesus and have a lot of right in our lives, but also it's possible at the same time to have some error, which is why Christianity, following Jesus is a means of grace. So we can have this high view of Jesus and maybe an even higher view of self at times that are exist and mixed in our heart. Great faith and great ignorance can be wed in one brain. We ought to persistently pray then, knowing that our own hearts may be mixed, that as we seek to live, and my hope, as we seek to serve, that we pray to make our motives to make what's going on behind the scenes become exposed. And this is what's so important about a church, a community, doing this together. Because we can't always see what's in our heart and what's in our, in our head. It's in there, and sometimes we pretend to hide it. But it's really helpful when you have other people who can say, you know, sometimes when you say this, this is what this means, or this is how people interpret it, or this is how I interpret it. Are you aware of this? Or it seems like when you talk about, I'll use myself as an example here. It seems like sometimes we, we do these events and we really want to be a blessing. Kyle, are you sure that it's not trying to build a bigger church? And that, that's a fair question. And I should be able to, and our team should be able to both in speech say that, but when the rubber meets the road, Make sure that we're putting our values into practice, not church growth practices. That's very different. And that shows up. And that's difficult. Because some of you know people and, and know others who will say, yeah, but if no one really knows, it's okay to employ this strategy. And for us, we have to do this together as a community. We have to pray to God to help our motives truly be exposed so that we can put the highest of values, love of God and love of neighbor, first and foremost. Or else, we'll just try to be like another successful nonprofit using business tactics in unbecoming and unholy ways. So we should be willing to pray and ask what's inside become exposed. And maybe it's even just silly little things. Say, hey, brother, you've got a little something in your beard. You should wipe that off. Or a little spaghetti sauce on your face. Like, hey, you should be aware. you got some spinach in your teeth. Like, let's get, like, like, but have a level of relationship building that. Being able to listen and build that trust so that we can say that. And then the person who hears it knows they're not my enemy. They're not my enemy. They are my friend. They are my family, we ought to care enough to correct some just obvious impurities. But second, much as we may shake our heads in dismay or wag our fingers maybe at these disciples, you've been with Jesus three years. Come on, haven't you understood? 
humility or that Jesus will win. Nevertheless, we may, as I'll say it as Charles Spurgeon said, question ourselves as to whether we think as much of our Lord as they did. Do we believe Jesus will reign? At the end of the day, will God's will and his way be successful? Will that, will good actually triumph over evil? Are we prepared to think about an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom, not just a temporary one? So this question, I think is cowardly, but I think it's also commendable. They believe Jesus. But I think it's also condemnable. This que- the context of this question makes it especially condemnable. Jesus just speaks of his brutal death in Jerusalem. Then that in conjunction will introduce such a great contrast comes this ambitious question. Jesus will be lifted up on a tree and these boys want to be lifted up on thrones to numbers two and three. But surprisingly, with such a striking contrast in mind, Jesus is gentle with them. He's patient with them. And Jesus is patient with us. He says, and I think in a sad but sympathetic tone, you do not know what you're asking. It has the same feel as, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And here it is not do, but ask. What is condemnable to Jesus is not the questioners, for he loves them, but their question. Let me add that I don't think these two, as I said a moment ago, are alone in their pride. Joining them are ten angry men who wonder, what's my place going to be? And I think oftentimes, as we see success, as more people follow Jesus, as, as even our church changes in dynamic. We can often wonder, where's my place in all this? If I'm supposed to make room for others, will any room be left for me? And what's amazing is Jesus' house has many rooms. His table is really big. His love is endless. His power is never-ending. And when we start to believe Jesus... And trust that we have a place in his his eternal kingdom as he has promised. Those little bit of where do I fit into all this starts to drip away, starts to melt away. And we can begin to have more confidence in saying, how do I continue to make room for others? How do I make room for Jesus in my life? How do I get to be a part of Jesus' plan and his promise. So as these group of people are upset at these brothers, at these disciples are upset at the brothers, as they're angry, I think it kind of confronts in us this idea of one upmanship in us all. What does it mean to be good 
what does it mean to be great? And are we conscious of our place? And what Jesus says in response is he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord power, lord their authority over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Jesus' corrective here is straightforward. There are rulers who rule in this way because they view greatness in terms of power and might and control and comfort. But Jesus says you are to rule another way because you view greatness in the opposite way. And that way is the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is servanthood. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus gives this parallelism. Whoever would want to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. And in Hebrew, the way these, these parallelisms work is that it's trying to help us understand that a servant, that those who maybe wait tables or thinking of waiters or exist for the service of others are actually the greatest. Do you just not, do you want to not just be great but to be first? Then you must be a servant. That is someone who has no right or existence on his own, who lives solely for others. And what Jesus is saying here is we must take our cue from him. We get our identity from him. Our response must be him. Just as every great band looks to just as every great orchestra looks to the conductor, we are looking to the great conductor to take our cue, to take our tempo, to take when we're supposed to step forward and play, and when we're supposed to take a breath and wait. See, church, we know actually how to serve, not because we're smart or wise or can come up with anything, but because we're listening and looking and waiting and eager with expectation to serve. Because it might surprise you, there may be ways in which God asked you to serve that you were previously blind to before. In fact, I, I heard of someone this week uh, showed up, uh, sensed the Lord in some time with prayer, was like, hey, you need to go help your neighbor mow. Okay, well, the guy drives around the corner and goes, and his neighbor's already out on the lawnmower mowing. And he's like, this is odd. I thought the Lord wanted me to come help him mow, but he's already mowing, so like, what's this about? He's really confused. Still pulls over, parks, goes, talks to the guy. And essentially what he says is, you have no idea how much stress is on my plate right now. My parents are in the hospital. I've got another child who was just in a car wreck. And I'm out here mowing because if this doesn't get done, I don't know when it will next. And his ability to show up and mow, even though he already saw something mowing and happening, was able to provide a respite for that guy to go be with his parents and show up in another way. So, for us at Generations Church, for us to be a blessing, for us to truly 
serve in the ways that aren't just ways that we think we should serve, but the way that God is inviting us to serve is to practice listening, presence, eating with people, beginning in prayer, which is the first couple letters of this series. And when we walk at the speed that Jesus walked, which was three miles an hour, two feet, one in front of us, not hurrying from place to place, trying to be in tune with the Spirit, ultimately, when we have opportunities to serve and see needs and meet needs, that's what Jesus calls great. It's not how many programs we run. It's not how many church events you show up to. It's not how many Bible studies you show up to. Well, those are important. And an important rhythm and cadence of a follower of Jesus' life to help us grow and be united and aligned. Ultimately, walking in the Spirit with God for others. See needs, meet needs is the way to go. Because if we try to do it for ourselves or do it for someone else and not out of a simple response, we will slip into that shoots and ladders mentality. When Jesus says this, he's the kind of came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. Here's the only thing we have freedom in. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Which means you don't have to sacrifice yourself in the same way that Jesus did. Which means sometimes, as we think about, well, Kyle, are you saying here, I just serve, I give, I pour out, I never think about myself, I just, I just always go, I always do, I overextend, I overspend, I'm overly generous, and it's like, yeah, you will need to go and live and be and be generous if that's what God is asking you to do, if that's in step with him. But if you're doing it because you think that's what's expected of you, because you think that's the religious game that you're being asked to play, you've missed the point. See, it's, it's we give not to get, to earn religious points, but we give because we have gotten. And, we, and it's give over get. It's story over sin. It's those values allow us to be present and respond. And so, which means we need other people to help us along the way interpret and go through that and say, hey, brother, sister, are, are you overextending yourself right now? Or actually, maybe you need to prune something else out of your life so that you can actually create some margin because you do have some needy people in your life. And maybe you need some extra margin to be present for them and serve them. And that's what's most important right now because that helps you build a set in a relationship because then when they ask, why? You say, I'm taking my cue from Jesus because he came to serve. He came to love. He came to bless. And I'm doing this not to try to coerce you into anything, not because I'm a religious person trying to earn points, but because I'm a loved child of God and it's that love that motivates and keeps me going. See, if you are in Christ, then you have a never-ending source of just battery power and energy that can sustain you. Like it sustained some of us this week at kids camp. 
And what Jesus' point is, it says, hey, it's cost you a lot in following me right now, but you haven't suffered yet. The greatest threat, my death, and what that will mean is yet to come at this point in our story. And so don't think about all that you've given up and will you earn something in the long run. But think about how we serve. Serve not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. So in what ways do we serve around here at Generations Church? Yeah, we, we have our teams. Events team, tech team, worship team. There's all kinds of teams. Kids team, refresh, refreshments team. There's, that's what I said. It's like we have teams that regard around here on Sunday, and we'd love to have you participate in them. But that's not the only way we serve, though it's helpful. What we're talking about is, is the lifestyle of service. As you see a need, you meet a need. I saw people this week at the park, Party in the Park Friday, picking up trash. They weren't supposed to be there picking up trash, or they weren't assigned on the team or line. Why did they do it? Because this is a part of my family. I'm bringing my, the gifts I have. I, I had an able body at the time, so I'm just jumping in and helping. It's a lifestyle of service taking our cue from the Savior. It's also listening to what's actually needed and engaging. And so maybe one of the most poignant statements at all that I'll ask you to consider this week is are you creating silence in your conversations for people to actually share their needs? Or are you someone who always talks over people and tells them what they need? Because I think when we create some of that silence and respond just as Jesus did, he's able to respond with a good question and help people understand but can we create some space in our conversation to actually listen to the hopes, to the hurts, to the dreams, to the aspirations of the people around us? And then maybe we know someone. Maybe we, we can be to rally together. Maybe you can be a part of the solution. And sometimes maybe you can't. But you at least know and you can ask and you can follow up to be a praying person for that hurt or for that hope. So to know how to serve, to pray, to listen, and we've got to be proximate with people. So as you think about this, let me ask, what do you need to put down to bless someone through serving them? What is the thing that you are chasing, the crown, the position, the comfort level? Is it your time? Is it your pride? Is it your convenience? What do you need to put down in order to pick up the posture of a servant in your neighborhood, in your apartment, in your condo building, at your workplace, and allow that to be your witness. Allow that to be the place at which the intersection of your life and faith and the power of God meet and your shoes where you're at. Because I believe that as we do that, power of God that resides in us who are baptized believers into Jesus, the Holy Spirit, what well, it'll be as if Jesus were in our shoes, where we live, work, and play. And that's what people need to see. Jesus represented, represented in all of our places and all of the places where we live, work, and play. And so let me pray for us.
Church, we do such a good job at serving. I really want to commend us. But may we also be willing to give up some things to continue to create more room and not worry about our place here, but recognize that we are part of the eternal family, an extended table that goes on forever. Uh, when we have an eternal father whose, whose love never runs dry. May we reflect on that and live in response to that truth this week. Let me pray for us. God, you are good. May we be people who serve, who respond, who see a need, meet a need in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, maybe even some places where we enjoy hanging out, playing, and spending time. May we be a church that's known for our love for you and love for others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Per each week, I just want to invite us to say our final closing prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. And this is a prayer, again, that's not for, not necessarily for you, but for us and praying for others. And so you can choose to say that with us, out loud or quietly to yourself. Um, totally your choice. But let me just pray over us to be sent well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then live for generations to come. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Say hi to someone on your way.